0: You're listening to Moody Radio 89.3 Mornings with Eric
1: and Bridget. Well, when the topic of race comes up, sometimes people want to avoid it or change the subject altogether. Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith, she and her co writer of this new book, Colorful Connections 12 Questions About Race That Open Healthy Conversations, says there is a way forward. Dr. Sandra is a board certified internal medicine physician, a researcher, a wellness speaker, and author. Sandra, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having
0: me. I think it's interesting because you wrote this book and Lori and you, you weren't like high school buddies, grew up together, knew all this. Uh, you guys were uh, like acquaintances, I guess, but that's about the extent of it, correct?
2: Yeah, we knew each other just superficially. We we were both authors, so we have similar circles we run in, but we'd only sat down for a meal once at a conference. And so that was the extent of our interaction. We were just very familiar with each other's work. And at that time, there was a lot of things just happening in our culture. There was a lot of discomfort with the conversation on race. And Lori reached out and said, hey, what do you think about having this conversation um, live and on the page? So for everyone to see how we interact with each other.
0: Was your first response to that? Yes, no, or I need to pray about this?
2: My first response was absolutely not. I closed up the email. I looked at my husband and I said, I think that was spam. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> even think that was a real email. But you know, the more I thought about it, I had to evaluate why am I resistant to have this conversation? Why am I pulling back? No, I don't know, Lori, but most of the time when we're interacting with people, especially on social media and different circles, you don't know them. So I that's that's actually what made me finally say yes with my own resistance. I wanted to evaluate, why am I afraid of this?
1: And if I am, as someone who communicates for a living, I'm sure other people are as well. Okay, so what was that resistance that's not uncommon, right? This, this topic is something that we oftentimes want to avoid. So what was that for you, and what do you think that is for the rest of us?
2: I think very often we fear we're going to say the wrong things, so we just don't say anything. I didn't want to get into a conversation where I either said something that she found offensive or I, or I stuck my foot in my mouth, so to speak, and and said something that wasn't culturally or ethnically appropriate um, because, as you mentioned, this isn't my background. And so I think for the two of us, that was the thing that when we first sat down to begin this project, we we allowed ourselves the ability to understand we're going to hit some rough spots. There're going to be times when one of us says something that that in the moment feels offensive or hurtful to the other person. That is what we have to work through and, and help model. How do we respond like Jesus? How do we love actively like God? How do we be effective listeners and all, not be so quick to respond before we've actually heard the other person out? That actually is what set the the, the really the foundation around this book and these 12 questions.
0: Well, one of the things you say early in the book is we need to be asking better questions. And I think even that word better scares us because we're like, you even said it. I don't know what question to ask. And now you're telling me I have to ask better questions. How do we know what a better question is? I guess is the question.
2: The better questions are the ones that can't just be answered with a yes or no. (laughs) Mm. Because for the two of us, when we first sat down, the first question we started to look at was, The the question sometimes that pops up in our head, am I a racist? You know, do I have bias? Do I have, um, do I discriminate, even have unconscious bias with people? And oftentimes with that, we are quick to say no, especially that question, am I a racist? Because we we, we automatically go to the extremist of that. We think, you know, no, I'm not doing some of the things I see other people doing, so I can check this box off my list. This is not a conversation I need to have. And some of the better questions that that we give examples of in the book include things like, how do I listen more effectively in conversations? You know, what do I do to slow my response and, and slow my ability to be offended? You know, in what ways can I express love to others? How do I view godly justice? Things that require you to actually go a little bit deeper and to then make it applicable to your life so it's not just about you and it's starting to look outward at how you can engage with others
1: there are times where i hear the comment that um you know i'm i'm colorblind what do you think about that statement and is there a better way to see others than saying i don't see your color at all
2: Yes, that was one of the one of the conversations Laurie and I had where I shared that I, I find that I find that to be very hurtful when someone says they're colorblind, because as a black woman, I don't want you to say you don't see a huge part of who I am. It's dismissive. And so what we what what we discussed in the book was that really what we're wanting is for people to be culturally aware you know, not limited or boxing me in because of my race or my ethnicity or my color, but to be aware of it and to allow yourself to experience all that, that comes that all that comes with that. And so that was the, the switch we recommended for people. Rather than saying you're colorblind, which honestly you you probably are not, most of very few people in the world are clinically colorblind. And so that that conversation is more dismissive than it is inclusive.
0: Mm. Our Heavenly Father isn't colorblind. I guess that's a place to start, isn't it? All these conversations have to start with Scripture, don't they?
2: Absolutely. And, and the, and the you know, in Colorful Connections, that was one of the things we wanted to make sure that... It, my background is looking at... I look at, and I talk about in the book, a lot of the psychology of things. We talk about things like um, in-and-out groups, things that people may not be aware of, just some of the psychology of how these things can occur without you intentionally trying to be hurtful or trying to, to, be, uh, trying to you know, not diversify your, your groups and your friends. But to be aware that we do have to go back to a scriptural basis because we're wanting to bring the love of God into a, into a culture that has become very dis- divisive. And so that's not going to happen from our own strength trying to make it happen.
1: It's going to happen when hearts change. And so that's a big core part of it. You also talk about our spiritual posture in discussing uh, things of race. What what do you mean by that? How, how do the two correlate and what should our posture be?
2: I think our initial posture has to be one of, of love and of acceptance of others and wanting to be able to to express that in a way so that we are showing love actively. I think it's it's easy to say, I, you know, I'm... Good with every ethnicity, I'm good with every race, but just to, just to kind of hone in a little bit on that in and out group, you know the example I give, you know we have the Super Bowl coming up. So you know if you're with the Eagles or if you're with the Chiefs, you're going to sit on one side of that stadium with your, with your jersey on and you're going to cheer for your team because that's the people that you associate with the same. It's the very same thing when someone walks into a room, if they're walking to a room and everybody in the room is of a different ethnicity, except for two or three people that are of their ethnicity, there's going to be a desire to gravitate towards those people who feel comfortable and feel like they're part of who you know and who you had experiences with. Now, on the flip side of that, what we then have to do in ourselves is recognize that that is not being exclusive that's there's a psychological component of that and so you almost have to war against your normal psychology and just open yourself up to try something different to be vulnerable and that heart, heart posture has to be one of humility of saying you know what i don't know these people they may not like me they don't they may not may not know my culture they may say the wrong thing but i'm going to put myself in a position of being humble and being open to allowing myself to experience them and share love with each other. Mm.
0: In a conversation, the talking part, I think we get. For many of us, that's the easy part. I've got an answer for everything. It might not be right, but I've got an answer for everything. It's the listening part that really trips us up, doesn't it? We, we need to be better listeners in a lot of these places.
2: That's where most people start. You know, when we talk about Um, expanding your circle and having more conversations. For most people, these conversations are going to come with your friends. All of your friends may look exactly like you. But what Lori talks about in the book um, is sitting around with a group of friends who are all white as she is and having this conversation, and she was like, "I I couldn't believe how quickly it could become volatile. And we all look exactly the same on the surface, mm-hmm. and so her conversation with them the the thing that she brings out in the book is that really it boiled back to no one was really st- taking a step back and listening. Everybody wanted to share their point without allowing other people to express their their feelings and to hear behind the story why they were feeling the way they were. And so I think that's a big part of it. Sometimes if you're, if you're a little reluctant to speak because you don't think you know what to say, listing's a great place to start.
1: I'm just slipping through your book here. One of the quotes I see is working together is hard. This is some of what you're saying here is hard, but you say Christians do hard things. And I think Christians do hard things because Christ did hard things. We see him reaching across that cultural aisle speaking even to the Samaritan woman, him actually going out of his way to meet the other. That really is our example.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's the part that sometimes we we forget, that it it is about one-on-one interaction. You know, when we look at all the things that happen in our world, and there's plenty of things that happen every day in the news that can can split your, your, you know, one way or the other on some of these topics. But I think we have to get back to the point of how is this affecting the person in front of me? If you go to work and you see someone who maybe is of a different ethnicity, You know, in the book, we have people from every ethnicity, 12 other people sharing their journeys. You know, if you go to work and you see that, rather than just not having the conversation, address the person in front of you that might be suffering, that might be having a hard time processing this, that might feel a little out of sorts because they don't know how others are going to interpret what just happened, and their interpretation may be different of that person's. Instead of trying to heal the world, Work with the person that's directly in front of you. I think if each of us did that, that would already be a massive change. Mm.
0: You know, I I think of the the book's Colorful Conversation. So you're asking for us to talk to one another. But I think with our best friends, with our spouse, I I hope that the conversation isn't necessary. You can sit there and, and I think many times we're just talking just to hear ourselves talk where you don't need to say anything and you feel comfortable without there even having to be a conversation. That's our ultimate goal, I guess, is for there to be a conversation if needed, but if we're comfortable enough with one another, just to sit there and enjoy one another and not even have to uh, have a conversation just to be with one another's enough. And I guess that's the ultimate goal here. Did you find out about yourself something though, as you were having these conversations about yourself and about Lori that you, you didn't expect
2: yeah, Lori and I, as you mentioned, we did not know each other going into this, but I love what you just shared, because that's when that's when these conversations with strangers slips over into relationship. Right. With relationship, you don't have to keep talking, you know, but that when you're first starting out, the conversation is what what opens you to the relationship. And that's what happened with us. So Lori and I now we, you know, we occasionally text each other. We talk about things that have nothing to do with race, obviously, mm-hmm. because now we have a relationship with each other. And I think that's the beautiful part of it. You have to start somewhere. And sometimes you have to be able to put yourself out there and say, hey, you know, I, I may say the wrong thing. If I do, forgive me. I don't want to hurt you. I, I want to have a, I want to get into deeper relationship with, with a diverse group of people. I want to expand my repertoire of friends and, you know, invite
1: people into that opportunity with you. Maybe starting in our community, starting in our churches, a great first step to these colorful connections. That's what we're talking about today with Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith of a co-author of this new resource about healthy conversations around race. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so helpful and I think a great start for all of us.
2: Thank you.